welcome back to this episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast. And last week, it was a really good week for us because, I mean, for us, meaning the podcast, because it was our 50th, count them, 50th episode. So how we how we feeling after episode 50, you guys? You know what? I'm just living. I'm just living my life. Just going to keep uh, moving forward. As, as, as long as I'm not dead, we're, we're going to be okay. Very, very, very good statement there <laughs> yeah, very very deep like how deep curry be shooting lately but uh Ooh, feeling good i'm feeling feeling like money you know what i'm saying 50 episodes in 50 more plus 50 more plus 50 more plus 50 more hate to sound like the miami heat when they first got together but i feel like we're on our road to our championship absolutely yeah I love it. No, definitely. It was a lot of fun uh, to do the interviewing and interviewing of you guys. And obviously haven't come late, but uh, man, it's just a blast being part of this and getting to talk hoops and looking forward to doing some more of that tonight. But great times. Episode 50. What up? Absolutely. And speaking of great times, as always, I'm Jerry Castillo and I'm joined by. I'm Daniel Wayne. I want to first thank the country of India for uh, getting us on their charts uh, earlier this week uh, to the people of India. Uh, we hope you keep listening and, you know, give basketball a chance and joining me as well. Um, I hope you guys can. I mean, you see the Curry jersey. I just want you guys to know that we appreciate greatness on this podcast. And I'm going to talk about another great player, yes, Russell Westbrook, later in this podcast as well. But anyways, this is your boy, Rally Rail, Jarrell Sales. And of course, we have. Yo, what up? This is Skyler and fired up for tonight. We got Westbrook. We got Curry. We got legacy talk. It is everything you could possibly want out of a basketball podcast. So stay tuned because it's going to be a great episode. Absolutely. Speaking of a legacy talk, well, G kind of mentioned it earlier, but Stephen Curry, uh, hmm, what hmm. else is left to talk to say about Sir Stephen Curry? What what is there to talk about? He is the greatest shooter of all time, regardless of what people on the internet, specifically on Twitter, say. He is the greatest shooter of all time, regardless of all the uh, of all the different you know opinions, takes, zero for nine in the clutch, whatever have you. Which NBA insider Tom Habichaux he did the math, and he dug into the analytics. He is the tenth most clutch player in the NBA. Take that with whatever you will. But he is the greatest shooter of all time. He hit the most threes in NBA history in a month with over 85 and counting because as of recording and probably by the time this comes out, the month of April hasn't ended yet. So he could probably be at 100 by the time this comes out, which is just insanity. And very, very, very simply put, I want to posit the question to you guys. Is there a doubt that he's the greatest shooter of all time. Because for me personally, af after looking oh, cool. at this at the stats that he's putting up in the month of April with 38 points, six and a half rebounds, four and a half assists on 53 shooting, 47 from three, and 89.7 from the free throw line in 35 minutes, it just it just doesn't seem like this is anything that people can replicate. And obviously the Warriors lost yesterday against the Mavericks, which is horrific. That was nothing that, you know, it made me cry. I was, I cried myself to sleep last night knowing how poorly the Warriors played, but they've had some quality wins over Denver and Philly. And at the crux of this is Stephen Curry and his immaculate shooting. And so I just want to question, uh, pause this question to you guys. 
Is there a doubt that he's the greatest shooter of all time? Because personally speaking, you guys already know, no, there's no doubt. He's the best. He will be the best, and no one will ever dethrone him from that. So interested to hear what you guys think. There is absolutely no doubt. And anyone who kind of doubts the status of Stephen Curry being the best shooter of all time, he you know, honestly belongs in an insane asylum. There is there's simply no question now. He is the greatest shooter of a shooter of all time. Think about the some of the greatest shooters of all time that ended up being the faces of their franchise. A lot of them could not even win a could not even win at least one championship. Think about it. Steve Nash, one of the greatest shooters of all time, could not really win a championship. Jason Kidd, one of the greatest well, he was a good three point shooter. He wasn't a good shooter at all. Well, okay, you know what? Okay, for, forget about that. He, he developed a clip uh, towards the end of his career, and he's like tops yeah. and uh, three points, three pointers made. So I get your point, Daniel. <laughs> yeah, uh, he was leader. He was the face of the the Nets franchise. Did not win until much later in his career. Ray Allen. He was he was the face of the of, of a Bucks franchise and the uh, the SuperSonics franchise. Did not win until his days in Boston, but he was not like, anywhere near close to be to be that to the to be that leader of that team. Stephen Curry. He, he has led this Warriors team to three championships. Yes, you could say Larry Bird has an argument in this discussion, but the one thing is that puts Stephen Curry above Larry Bird. Larry Bird did not revolutionize the game of basketball. Thank you. Larry Bird did not re- re- revolutionize anything. Stephen Curry literally changed the game and won three championships because of it. So, I mean, like, there, there there's absolutely no question. He is. And honestly, no shooter has an argument against Steph Curry now. Oh, one thing I forgot. Reggie Miller, face of the Pacers franchise for years, won no championships. There's yeah. not, that's that's all I have to say here. And also, you're kind of forgetting James Harden, too. James Harden? Um, yeah. Face of that Rockets franchise, shot a Nothing. lot of threes, but nada. But go ahead, G. Um, I'm, I'm agreeing with a lot of what you're saying, uh, but I just want to pull out the, the, the argument that what makes Steph Curry a great shooter isn't the championships. Unfortunately, that's not the argument for me. What it makes him it. the best? What makes him the best shooter? And we didn't need this season for, to know that. Like we've already known that. It's just solidifying it a little bit more. But what makes him a great shooter? What makes him the greatest shooter of all time is that he is the first to revolutionize incorporating not only spot up shooting but shooting off the dribble. In addition to that. The range, the whole reason why NBA 2K has a range extender badge is because Steph Curry. So what makes him the greatest shooter of all time is incorporating those three things, being an excellent, superb spot up shooter, being able to incorporate Allen Iverson's ball handling uh, to shooting off screens. He's the all around shooter. We have Ray Allen. He was an amazing spot up shooter and he was amazing coming off those screens. Curry, Curry has that. We have Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller wasn't a great ball handler, but he can hit some threes, a little step back here and there. So to be able to incorporate all those aspects to get off your shot and not just be a spot up shooter, that's what makes Steph Curry the greatest shooter of all time. And I just have to point out that I don't, I don't, I don't think that he led the Warriors. Unfortunately, we see it within the Finals MVPs. Kevin Durant got got those Finals MVPs, and 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 I understand Audrey Godala didn't hold uh, LeBron James down, but I I don't I don't see I don't think he led. He was a he was an intricate part of that that franchise, but. Um, and we're seeing what he is, how he is as a leader now, because there's nobody else. Draymond Green is already uh, uh, regressing as far as his potential goes, and there's nobody else there to step up. So now we're seeing what Curry is 
being that leader, not having that uh, secondary all-star because he, he hasn't, he hasn't ever faced that within his career. So now we're seeing what he has as a leader, but beforehand, I, I just, I think it was a collective effort. So I just wanted to point that argument out as well. So really quickly, wow. I, I did an article on, I, I mentioned this a lot because I truly believe Curry should have won the 2015 NBA finals MVP. He has beaten Andre Iguodala in every, almost every category, statistical category throughout that final series and yet he didn't win i I wrote about it on sports not like he has iguodala beat on almost every statistical category but he didn't win yeah no that's all for data i'll comment on that as well i mean i mean andre iguodala defended lebron and that is sort of how much credit the media gives lebron that's not saying lebron is not one of the greatest players of all time but we're really gonna give it to a dude just for defending one of the greatest. I mean, shouldn't we have, you know, MJ didn't lose in the finals, of course. That's the big difference. But, you know, should we have given it to, it's just, it's just ridiculous, you know? Should we have given it to every defender who defended the greatest player ever on the team? No. Th- and it was just a knock against Curry. I think it was just kind of like similar to the Kawhi Leonard situation too, the year exactly. prior. I mean, yeah. Exactly. Anyway, that was ahead. the... That was the LeBron MVP defender phase of the NDA and the media voting uh, after his ridiculous performance in the 2015 finals. But yes, Curry should have an NBA finals MVP on his resume. But to answer the question about Stephen Curry's legacy, look, I was very nostalgic for Ray Allen for a long time. I almost didn't want to let go of that for a bit. I remember growing up watching him as Jesus Shuttlesworth and he got game. I remember him hitting the most threes at the time in NBA playoff history against the Lakers. His days on the Supersonics dropping 50 in triple overtime and a game winner. And, you know, shout out to the legacy and the career of Ray Allen. And of course, the Miami Heat shot, the greatest. Like, who could ever be better at that time? And here we are eight years later. And if Stephen Curry missed his next 503 pointers, he would still have a better field goal percentage than Ray Allen and is like basically 200 three pointers away from passing him. That is ridiculous. Stephen Curry has a three-point percentage of 43.4. Ray Allen, 40%. Ray Allen shot 7,429 shots to get there. Steph, 6,379. He could miss his next 500 shots and still have a better percentage than someone who was for a long time considered the greatest shooter of all time. And when you look at that statistic... Stephen Curry is not just the greatest shooter of all time, but he's the definition of a Hall of Famer. The definition of a Hall of Famer, the actual definition, is someone who changed the game. And Stephen Curry, he, he ripped the game apart. He comes in in 09. He's got ankle problems. He's straight out of Davidson. People are doubting him. He was seriously viewed as like, oh, you know, he didn't get the max contract at first because they were worried he was just a player with ankle problems. So he's playing on this cheap deal when he's winning MVPs. Steph Curry was not supposed to do this. And that's what makes this all the more special and incredible. And no matter who our favorite teams are on this podcast, we respect the hell out of greatness. So shout out to Steph Curry. 
The guy is just unbelievable. Yeah, we got G-Rock and the Warriors. We all know Jared's diehard Warriors. And uh, I grew up on the We Believe days as well. So I respect the franchise. Rick Barry 50 years ago. And Steph Curry has redefined that franchise with three championships. One more piece of context about this month. Steph Curry has hit 10 three-pointers four separate times. 12 players in NBA history have had games of 10 three-pointers and more. Stephen Curry is not just the greatest shooter of all time. He's changed and revolutionized the game and what shooting the basketball means. I mean, we, we wouldn't have Logo Lillard without Steph Curry. I hate to say, but Steph has been doing it. And shout out to Lillard as well. And it's just those two have stuck with their franchise. And that's what I love about Steph too. He's done it all with one franchise. So got to give Steph his flowers. Uh, guy's the greatest shooter. He's redefined the game, and it's a joy watching him play. He's having like a Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan type of scoring spree right now, but with shooting and three-pointers and redefining what that means. And rather than even just compare, he's doing his own thing, and it's great to see, and I hope it keeps up. Yeah, absolutely. Because one of the things you mentioned, his uh, three-point attempts, he, he hit what? He got into second place with 597 games played. That's insanity, dude. And I did the math. If he hits 233 pointers, which is about his average throughout his career, if he hits 233 pointers for the next five years, he's going to end up with 3,921 three-pointers at 38, right? It's not like he's going to fall off a cliff and forget how to shoot entirely. We've seen Ray Allen, Reggie Miller play until their, for their 40s, and they were still hitting buckets from deep. So it's really not outside the realm of possibility to see him hit, by the time his career is over, around 4,000, maybe 4,100 three-pointers. I don't think anyone's ever going to, to do that, ever. Especially with this kind of efficiency, the only person that comes to mind is Trey Young, but I don't even know a Trey Young because, you know, from what we've seen, he can do that, but I just... I don't trust it yet, if that makes sense. Right. I, I wouldn't even put his name up there. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, 50 stats. What about Luca? Steps it up. That's the one I'm actually curious about. Luca, I'm curious about. If he could step up the three-point percentage. I mean, we've, oh. seen, we've seen just that he's a special player. I mean, he could if he hits with alarming regularity... And the amount of shots that he hits with a high percentage, which all goes back to the alarming regularity part, um, I could see him potentially sneaking into maybe like the top 10. We'll, we'll, we'll put it there, top 10. If, if that's anything else, great. But if not, then it's, it's no knock on him. He's just not a good shooter. I was just going to say, and and he, unfortunately, the play style is so different. Mm -hmm, Luca yeah. has to create. So if he's just standing behind a three-point line, uh, that's not helping the Mavericks. So I don't think yeah. that, yeah, he just needs it as a fallback. There's an option to keep defenders on their toes. Yeah, He'll have his clutch three-point highlights, but as far as getting into the top, it'll be tough for him. Yeah, it also yeah. goes back to your thing, G. You don't want everyone to play one style of game, so. Yes, thank you. Yes. Go ahead, Daniel, though. I, I just want to say, I, I just don't think, I just don't see Luca ever becoming like a sharpshooter like Curry because that's not, that's not his game. It's, a, it's an arsenal uh, and, and his weaponry, but like that's not how Luca's game is 
um, you know, created around it. Honestly, like his, his Luca's game is more, a lot of it's influenced by like people like Kobe Bryant uh, and Trey Young. Uh, Trey Young is not even close to the level of Stephen Curry. Honestly, Trey Young is a poor man, Stephen Curry, and no one wants to be a poor man's like poor man's version of someone. Empty stats. Okay, I'm gonna be honest though. If I'm a poor man's version of an NBA player, I'm doing pretty damn well for myself. Just putting that out there. <laughs> That's so a good I, way to look at it. I would, yeah. if I'm a poor man, Stephen Curry, I'd 100% take that over whatever I am now compared to an NBA player, which is like yeah. a minuscule amount, bro. Have you seen the the video of Brian Scalabrini taking on those high schoolers? Oh yeah, 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 bro. Absolutely. I've never doubted NBA talent aside from Kwame Brown, but uh, I've never yeah. doubted NBA talent. Dude, I think it was him after that after that entire matchup. He was like, "I'm closer to LeBron than you guys are to me," and I just was like, "Damn, he's right." There's, I mean, biggest thing is size. NBA players know how to use their size. That's a that's a that's a big thing. Along with their skill, along with their work ethic, their talent. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, that's the that's a big uh, a big factor. Just having the size and being able to use that, because if you saw Brian Scalabrini, I'm not taking anything away from his skills. But whenever you see basketball players go up against um, regular pedestrians, what do they do? (laughs) Put them in a post. Use your size. A lot of NBA is being able to use that size effectively. We and see Andrew Drummond. He ain't using his size effectively. No offense. I'm sorry. I went on a tangent. Go ahead. No, it's it's all good, man. I mean, there are some people who can use their size, and there's some that can't. That's just how it is, right? We yeah. personally know of someone. We're not going to name names, but we know of someone who was like six five or six seven and didn't play in the post. Cool. Anyways, moving on. Uh, not to get on that tangent, but. On the flip side, right? We're talking about Curry being the greatest shooter of all time, and there is no disputable evidence that can be presented to show that hey, he's not the shooter. He's not the best shooter of all time. That being said, if you are playing devil's advocate, what is the argument that can be made against Curry being the greatest shooter of all time? Or is there any argument that you can think of? Because I talked about the clutch situations. He's tenth in the league and being the most clutch player of all time. Not all time, but 10th most clutch player in the league, right? There's Currently? Yeah. Kyrie Irving is number nine and a bunch of other players, but he is the 10th most clutch player in the league. So can you guys think of any argument against Curry being the greatest shooter of all time? Oh, there's yes. just not any argument in my opinion. I'm sorry. There, there just isn't. Someone said I, yes. Yeah, I, I mean, there's always something that you could point out. Uh, the free throw percentage is 89.7. He needs to be uh, higher, 95. If you want to point out something in, in, in addition to that, but don't get me wrong. You said find an argument. I'm going to find an argument because you can I always argue. If you can, doesn't well, mean you have I, to. It, I, I feel like career-wise, he should be 50, 40, 90 regardless. So get that free throw percentage up. Um yeah. And in addition to that, uh, I know he shoots some mid-range, but it's not he doesn't have a lot of mid-range in his game. It's threes, it's getting into the paint. So that would make him that that's an argument that you can potentially make. Really quickly, that 89.7% is for the month of April. His career is 90.6. Okay. Which is the highest of all time. All right. Okay. 
the the only thing I could think of, which I already invalidated with my own arguments, is about Ray Allen having the greatest shot in NBA history. But because of what Steph has done, you could have argued that at the time. You could have argued that a couple of years ago. But at this point, it's pretty tough to make an argument. But I think, you know, if if Steph Curry um, could have like a finals and NBA moments, that would just be dope. That would just be dope on this NBA highlight reel. And I'd love to see it. So what you're saying is the Warriors should make it to the finals at some point again. Book it, NBA. Yes. Adam Silver, yes. make uh, that happen. Uh, I think years. the Warriors will eventually make it back to the finals. Yeah, they it's going to be Lakers the next two years, and then Warriors going for one more round. Nostalgia with Klay Thompson, Steph Curry back, James Wiseman balling out, Andrew Wiggins still there, some young guys. Andrew Wiggins filling that Harrison Barnes, but Duncan and able to draw a 40 now role. Imagine. But what if it's like Lakers, Warriors, and then Lakers? Just so, you know, you have Clay. Clay is not going to be 100% next year. So the following yeah. year, everyone's going to be 100%, provided everyone stays. Wiseman gets a little bit wiser, and then he becomes a wise man. And then, Wiseman. Yeah. And then the Warriors have a really good solid core if Kelly Oubre decides to stay and becomes like a super sub. I think that would be, be a more manageable time. But we're talking about legacies and... It's legacies are kind of a weird thing. And there's a lot of arguments that happen when it comes to legacies. And so G and I had this conversation a few, uh, I would say a few hours ago. It feels like it's a few hours ago about Russell Westbrook. And currently the Bulls have fallen out of the playing tournament altogether because of the Wizards led by Russell Westbrook. The Wizards currently have won 9 of 10 before losing to the Spurs 146-143 in overtime. And the Wizards' eight-game winning streak was their longest in 20 years. That's a long time. Yeah, right? (laughs) Imagine winning eight games in a row with, like, what, a 39-year-old, 38-year-old Michael Jordan at the helm? Well, it's not... Well, now that I say that out loud, it's not as crazy as you think because it, it is Michael Jordan, but still, I mean, 20 years is a long time. But right. anyways, back to Westbrook. He's been leading the charge. Um, he's had 21 triple-doubles in his last 31 games, 19 in his last 26, 17 in his last 21, 14 in his last 16, 10 in his last 11. Oscar Robertson never had that, and I think that... You know, in a few in a few games, Westbrook could potentially surpass Ro- Oscar Robertson as the most uh, triple doubles leader in NBA history. Right? Correct me if I'm wrong. There, you're right. Yeah, yeah. It's I believe he has 176, and uh, Robertson mm-hmm. has 181. Yeah. Right. And so, really quickly, switching to Oscar Robertson, real quick. Do you think Oscar could do this now if he was playing in today's game? Right. He's six five. About. 215 220 right do you think he could translate his play from you know way back then into now i mean it, it would have to be under like a certain like context if it, it would be like it would have to be like a, a modernized like oscar robertson like not the oscar robertson we saw back in the day because the play styles back in the day are very different than what we have now i mean things little things like nutrition standards have like dramatically affected the game and the game is you know we we, we just discussed that very like tactics are the tactics are 
vastly like different and and much more advanced than they were 40 50 years ago so if you got if you pulled oscar robinson from his time into this today's game my chances are if every every nba athlete is much more athletic now so in my mind no but if you were to modernize and like create a, a modernized oscar robinson sure yeah but it, it, it just depends like how you're gonna pluck them in pluck them in this era. I think what I what I was thinking is that there are certain players in every decade, every generation of basketball that you can plug into this generation and their game would kind of fit, right? You look at Elgin Baylor, his game would definitely fit, right? Facts. You look at Pistol Kobe's, Pete Maravich. Kobe's would Facts. Right? His game would Facts. translate. You look at Lou Alcindor, Harim Abdul-Jabbar. Why did I say it like yes. that? His game would definitely <laughs> translate. So Facts. there are these players that their games could translate. And, you know, Drazen Petrovic, right? His game could transfer. So I'm just thinking, like, Oscar's skill set, because he is a bigger guard. He could probably, yeah. he could probably translate his game here. I question the athleticism in today's NBA and the speed and the pace. And I know the pace was pretty intense back then, but it's just Westbrook does a lot of like drive into the rim, kicking out for the three pointer. And it, he would, I mean, the great players are able to adapt to the game. That's the real, like Michael Jordan would be great in any era. It's just reality. And so I think that, well, he do well. Uh, I, I know we're going to get into Mr. Westbrook more in a minute here, but I think what he's doing is is really, really special and something that with an eight-game win streak, you can't take for granted too much. Um, I I think Oscar would fare well in today's game. Like Jared said, combo guard, he, he has the body type. I could think of five players that have that similar body type, and I'm going to list them. Uh, 6'5", 220. James Harden in 6'5", 220. Malcolm Brogdon, about 6'4", 6'5", 220. Uh, we look at uh, – and the, the best comparison I can make here is Oscar Robertson will be a modern-day Tyreek Evans. Tyreek Evans mm. came on the scene, 6'6", 6'5", point guard, 220, 25-5 his rookie year, Sacramento Kings. Um Shout out to Tyreek Evans. Let's get you on the podcast. But yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Uh, the skill set is there. He's able to impact the game, not only in the scoring uh, column, but also rebounding and also playmaking. And you, what if you can impact the game in multiple uh, uh, facets, you can play in today's NBA. We see Kyle Anderson. Kyle Anderson is a, a big point forward, right? He played point forward in, at UCLA, and slow-mo is effective in his game. You see Nikola Jokic. Um He's he's slow mo as well. He's effective in his game. So to just base it off of athleticism and say that he's not going to fare well, I don't know. I don't see it. He's the only. There's a reason why he's the only player in history, aside from Russell Westbrook, now to average a triple double, and that's greatness. He's in the legacy book. So with that being said, Oscar Robinson undoubtedly can play in the NBA today. Yeah, and I was also reading something about uh, Fat Lever, who was essentially the precursor to Russell Westbrook because in the 80s, he had, I think, 43 triple-doubles for the Denver Nuggets as a 6'3 guard. And, you know, I'm guessing if you take his style of play to today, he could probably translate well as well because Westbrook is doing it now. So it's it's an interesting question. I firmly believe that Oscar can do it, no doubt, because you're seeing players like Luka, who's only three inches taller than him, putting up monster numbers. Why couldn't he? Right. So that being said, it's time for the Russell Westbrook 
and Stephen Curry argument. Now, we had this discussion, this discussion on social media, but I think that Russell Westbrook is not a point guard. All the things that he's doing, they're great, but he is stylistically not a point guard. And I don't know if you guys agree with me. I think he's a shooting guard, personally. I don't agree. Just want that I, I I absolutely agree, Jared. That he is an absolute two guard. He his mentality is nothing like a point guard whatsoever. I think there's a really interesting argument there. And it's something where I absolutely see both sides, but I, I think with what he's doing and how well he is able to pass and kick the ball, he is a point guard. But that's not to say that when he was a shooting guard on the Rockets and he was playing some of the best ball of his career and what would have been. But, mm-hmm. I mean, Russell Westbrook is excelling at the point guard position. I got to give him his props there. Yeah. Um, if you can sit here and say Steph Curry is a point guard and, and, and you, you believe that, you have to say Russell Westbrook is a point guard because if we're talking about shooting guard, uh, stero- what is the ideal shooting guard? A score first person, right? A score first uh, player. And Curry puts up the numbers. So if your argument is Curry is a point guard and you can't say that Russell Westbrook isn't, I don't, I don't know what to say. I mean, that's just how I view it, right? Because the way that I see Russell Westbrook, he doesn't have the typical makings of a point guard, right? Because, yes, he puts up assist numbers. But if you compare his assists to Chris Paul's, they're not the same. Why are we comparing Chris Paul? I'm just saying. Because Chris Chris Paul is considered to be the quintessential point guard, right? Everyone compares Chris Paul to the greatest of all time because he is probably the greatest point guard of all time. And you see, you know, Curry comparisons with Chris Paul. Chris Paul's game as a pure point guard is closer to Curry's than it is to Westbrook's, if you get what I mean, right? Speaking as a pure point guard perspective only, that's what I mean, that Curry right. is more of a, of a point guard and Westbrook is more of a shooting guard. But go ahead, Daniel. Jarrell, I've got to disagree with you on the perspective on the point guard position. I completely disagree. Like, Jarrell, like, the, I think the idea, the point guard is a floor general for a reason. The point guard is a get everyone involved first, score later. That's not Russell Westbrook's, like, mentality. Russell Westbrook's mentality, yes, he can pass. That's part of his, uh, part of his arsenal. He but does his it mentality, all. Like, Russell, okay, Russell Westbrook's mentality throughout his entire career is to score first, get that dunk first, pass second. Yes, he can pass, but that's not how his games wor- game works. Russell Westbrook just wants to score. Stephen Curry's a team player. He gets <laughs> people involved. It's, Chris Paul gets people involved. I think okay. it's more than scoring. I think it's more of the statistics. Um, because when he scored, I think, 24 points against the Spurs, he did it on 9 of 26 shooting. I mean, and, and, and that's okay, but I'm still about to ride for my guy, Russell Westbrook. I mean, stats don't lie. Uh, he's a primary ball handler in every situation he, he goes in aside from the Houston Rockets. We've seen the point guard, uh, position be revolutionized. These are words that's come straight out of your mouth, Daniel revolutionized, right? Curry is a shoot first point guard. When has he averaged over eight assists a game? Please tell me, Jerry. Never. 
Thank you. Stats don't lie. Now, let's go back to Russell Westbrook being the primary ball handler when OKC went to the finals and lost against the Miami Heat, right? When he won MVP, when he averaged triple-double multiple seasons. Now, I understand there is this prototypical type point guard, but like I said, it's shifted, it's changed. And Russell Westbrook gets those stats. He gets his teammates involved. And it maybe look selfish is because you don't like the guy because he has an attitude because he drives to the basket aggressively, but he still kicks it out. He still finds the open man. He still gets wins. He still gets W's. He still gets his other teammates involved. It might be a selfish way of getting involved because you want everybody to be smiles and have it be a, a cute little pick and roll. But I remember Russell Westbrook in a fast break transition uh throwing some oh, oh, no look dimes magic johnson-esque dimes so to sit here and say that that is not a point guard somebody that is able to suck in the defense and kick out and make the appropriate play of course there's some rough passes of course it may not be perfect but we've seen curry do behind the back passes that aren't necessarily perfect but it's so ooh and ah that we just love it Russell Westbrook is a rough character, and I feel like he's getting a lot of hate from playing this point guard position well. There's no other point guard aside from Oscar Robertson to put up these stats. He's an MVP. He, um, every time that he was – and there was only one time, like I said, that he was in, out of the position of being a point guard, which was with Houston. Every other time, he is a primary ball handler. And what is what, what did you say a point guard was? The field general, the, uh, the floor general, the person that is initiating the office, is bringing the ball up, the court, somebody that you're not really afraid that's going to turn the ball over. And I understand that's a, a, a contradiction because Russell Westbrook does turn the ball over. But stats don't lie. Yeah. And I think going back to Curry real quickly, he did average over eight assists in 2013, eight and a half. Okay. So how many times did Russell Westbrook average eight over eight? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. The guy, Brian. the one thing about Westbrook that I have to say, like it is just Oscar Robertson averaged a triple double. And no one brings us up anymore, but Charles Barkley always used to put Oscar Robertson in his top five players of all time. Say so the the guy averaged a triple-double for a season. How can you not have him in your top five? He averaged a triple-double for a season. I understand it's a different era, but no one else has ever done this. Robertson did it in 1962, and Westbrook has done it four out of five seasons again. It is historic, and we'll never see anything like this again. You know, Kobe Bryant, 21 triple-doubles. Michael Jordan, 25. Very different games. I'm very aware of that. But still, I really believe that what Russell Westbrook has done with the triple-double is revolutionary for the game. And it's really inspired other players to be able to do the same. And I would even go so far as to say, Russell Westbrook has changed the game. And he's an absolute Hall of Famer. He may never win a championship. That's something I'm coming to terms with. But... He really is a game-changing, generational, and in my opinion, top 30 player of all time. Hmm. I agree. And that's Blossom as Scholar. The so. athletic point guard. He, yeah, he's the most famous point guard throughout history. Steve Francis. point bro. guards ever, man. He's, he's probably yeah. the most explosive point guard. And Steve Francis fizzled out. Russell Westbrook is an MVP. He's not Derrick Rose. Sorry, Derrick Rose. Derrick Rose was supposed to be that next big thing. Uh, Russell Westbrook has not had any crazy injuries. He's longevity. He's been there. 12 years in the league. He's still playing at a, at a high clip. He should he should be an all-NBA uh, uh, selection this year. And he's about to get the Wizards, help get the Wizards to the playoffs. 
So, Come on, y'all just hating, bro. Like, I don't understand it's, it. It's <laughs> not okay. It's not hating. All right. If it was hating, I wouldn't give him his credit, which I am about to. He is one of the best players of all time. Where where you have him is inconsequential because he is going to get up there, regardless of what we think at the end of the day. That being said, because of his style of play and because of the frequency with which he gets triple doubles, do you guys think that triple doubles are just becoming like a meh thing now? Because before, we were like, oh my God, a triple double, that's amazing. But then we're seeing triple doubles like almost on an on a daily basis because a few days ago a few weeks ago six players had a triple double yep like and that has changed since russell westbrook averaged the triple double in 2017 but and that's why i give him some credit of course but my question to you is is a triple double worth less now at least amongst i guess fans players executives because they're seeing yeah because they're seeing triple doubles come up on a near daily basis. Like Nikola Jokic is almost averaging a triple double. Uh, Luka Doncic is almost averaging a triple double. All these different players are almost averaging triple doubles. And so I'm just curious because of the, the frequency with which Westbrook got these triple doubles, are those kind of decline, not declining, but is it decreasing the value of a triple double altogether? Absolutely. I just think with the whole, you know, the game is much more point guard one, uh, one, and two guard um, eccentric now more focused on those positions and with the three point revolution and the, um, the advent of spacing back in the early two thousands, it's, it's become much more easier for point guards and shooting guards alike, even, even the three, uh, even wings uh, um, as well to, you know, average these triple double, triple double numbers. You, you could have, you, like you brought up Nikola Jokic. Anyone can have triple doubles now. You know, like oh. Back in the nineties, a, <laughs> like like sorry I, I get i get what he's saying i get what he's saying oh. i guess with the amount of like because it's happening so frequently i think that's what he means that anyone can get a triple double now My yeah bad. back I'm in the sorry. 90s the the odds of of like a big getting a triple double were much more or less now it's actually theoretically depending what big or big you are like Nikola Jokic, it's theoretically possible so or yeah the triple double yes so like and it's because of Russell Westbrook that the triple double doesn't mean as much jack now than than oh, what oh. like what what it meant ten years ago, ten years ago. Maybe a single night of triple doubles, but averaging one for a season four times. Look, I don't care who's almost averaging. Mm. You can almost win the championship, but that doesn't make you a champion. And yes, there probably will be another player who averages a triple-double, but he's done it four times in five seasons. So if you want to say a single-night triple-double is watered down, sure. If you want to say multiple streaks of eight triple-doubles, seven triple-doubles, 11 triple-doubles, no, that's incredible. And Westbrook has redefined that. It's a bit of stat padding. For this for this player, Russell Westbrook, to receive so much hate, not it's only crazy. on his podcast, but on, on Twitter, it just shows how amazing this player is. Because usually poor, the greats is and usually the greats get the most hate. And I understand now. Y'all hating on Russell Westbrook. That's cool. Y'all hating on his comments about him. He, he's already a champion. That's cool. Y'all hate how he gets upset. I'm talking in the general public. I'm not just pointing you out, but if the shoe fits, it fits, Jerry. But that's cool. Y'all get mad at him going off on uh um 
um, reporters because he's true to himself. That's cool. But to yeah. sit here and say uh, a triple-double is watered down, what the? It's because of Russell Westbrook that y'all hating so much on it. Y'all still in love with the three-pointer. We as a, as a coach, you, you always tell your players, if you're not doing one thing, impact the game on another aspect. And Russell Westbrook is the, the perfect example of that. Because if he goes nine for 26, shout out to Kobe, you keep shooting those shots, right? But he's also going to rebound. He's also going to play make. He's going to play hard. And this dog mentality that Russell Westbrook yes. has to go here and average a triple-double four seasons in a row and put up these numbers. Because look at this. For throughout the seasons, he's putting up comparably to what Curry is doing. Curry's put 10. 10 threes and uh and I don't know how many games Russell Westbrook getting multiple triple doubles like Skyler said ridiculous. almost doesn't count Curry almost had a finals MVP Russell Westbrook ain't almost have a triple double average for the season he's done it multiple times put his stamp on the NBA he's revolutionized uh, a lot of players because you see Luka Doncic out here impacting the game on multiple aspects even if he doesn't want to give him credit LeBron James has been doing it majority uh, all his all his career and Russell Westbrook is not that almost person he gets it he gets it done yeah and something that Skylar brought a little bit earlier was that I think you said along the lines of that we won't see a player do this again. I think that we can probably see Luca because he came close last year. Yes. And I think that within the next, I don't know, five years, he could potentially average a triple double season. If he keeps continuing at the pace he's at, cause he's super close oh. right now. He's, he's averaging almost 30, almost well, eight and almost nine assists per contest. So he can potentially do this next year. We'll see a player average triple-double again. What I'm saying is we won't see a player average a triple-double four times in five seasons. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm – as far as the single-season uh, triple-double, I do think we'll see that a few more times. Yeah. But four triple-double averages in five seasons when no one had done it since 62, it, it's really something to, to behold, and it's – it's, you know, love him or hate him, we'll all miss Russ and having these debates when he's gone. And he's, he's such a polarizing figure. And, uh, and I, I really do appreciate his, his greatness on my end. And I appreciate the, the hate as well. And hearing that, you know, as someone who's always really enjoyed Russell Westbrook and his game and, and how much Kobe liked him. And, and Kobe always said, you know, they, they hate the great ones. And that's the way it goes. There's still people who hate on Curry, as we talked about, you know. So it's yeah. just it, – it happens. But to me, no, what, what Russell Westbrook has done for the triple-double is revolutionary. And whenever someone does something great and makes it regular – you can say it gets watered down, even with the three-point shot, technically. You know, look at what Greg Popovich was saying before the Warriors. Well, oh, three-pointers don't win champions. Now everybody's shooting the three and doing this. And, but you can't forget who started that. And you can't forget who did that. And so I, I think when it comes to triple-doubles, you know, Russell Westbrook really has revolutionized the game in that aspect. Hasn't led to a championship, but his aggression, his explosiveness – uh, to me, makes him a top 30 Allen Iverson type of player that we'll always remember. Absolutely. And I think something else that we forget about Russell Westbrook, whenever he comes on in our minds, is it makes for great content. And yep. that being said, great content. Guys, can you believe that there's only about a dozen games of the regular season left before the playing tournament? That's absolutely insane. That's wild. And I'm ready for the playoffs to begin. I'm not. I want sure. this... 
I want this regular season to keep going because I don't want basketball out of my life. But something of note that I was reading about 24 teams are still competing for something, which is the highest number the league's ever had, according to NBA v- Vice President Evan Watt. Wash, W A S C H. Sorry if I spoke if I said that name wrong. But yeah, twenty four teams still have something to fight for this late in the season, which is the highest ever. And so I just kind of want to get your guys' thoughts on this season, as it's sadly coming to a somewhat fast conclusion. I think the season's been pretty solid, all things considered. Injuries have been horrific. I mean, that's right. just insane. Yeah. That's that's horrible, but. Apart from that, I'm, you know, the Lakers with the 72-day layover or layoff. It's It's been good. I mean, I, I, I'm thoroughly enjoying this season, but your guys' thoughts? I'm going to be as honest as I can. Uh, for the situation the league was put in, the league did the best it could. But let's be honest, the injuries have put a, you know, a dark cloud over the season a lot in general. For example, the Lakers... The, the Lakers lost, went through huge portions of their season without their two stars. I mean, the NBA is a star-driven league, and it's also a TV product. You need LeBron AD on there. And also, um, the, the, the lack of crowds have, have kind of dampened the magic you kind of associate in watching NBA basketball. Like, there's some – every. I'm going to be honest. With this season, in, in retrospect, there, there was – at some points, it just wasn't fun because – you didn't even have, you know, like we want tacos chants at Lakers games that were that were com- that were commonplace. It's just it something was just it didn't feel right. So in, in a way, when this season ends, I'll be glad it's over because we can finally get back to normal and back to a normal NBA season. But for what the league uh, league uh, the environment they were they put themselves in, they did the best they could. I will say though it it hasn't been the best basketball with the with all the injuries as well. That's my honest opinion. Uh, shout out to the Lakers and Wingstop because I got a lot of free wings, <laughs> so that's something cool. But um, yeah, I've I've enjoyed the season. Um, aside from the injuries, we already spoke about that. But just to have the product of basketball to get get on this podcast uh, week in and week out and talk about and discuss different topics that are occurring, it's amazing. So um, very optimistic. I can't wait for the playoffs. Uh, we also have to put into account the safety of people. So I mean, aside from like Karen and at the Atlanta game, uh, we had some cool interactions. I, I noticed Ben McLemore when we got fans in, he had that one night where he went off with a couple of threes. He had like 17 points in the second half or something like that. He kept doing his like celebration to the crowd. So as we slowly but surely get more and more fans in, I understand that aspect of the uh, what you said, Daniel. Um, it just brings another enjoyment to the game, but not having the fans didn't take the enjoyment away from the game. I still enjoy it, and I look at the fans as just an enhancer. So this season has been great for what we've what we had, what we had. We made the best of it. Right? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that this season's been uh, interesting to say the least. You know, it's just, of course, there's the injuries, but yeah, to me, I know there's a couple fan interactions, but when you think of something like Kobe's final season and you think of him tossing stuff, the full crowd and people fighting to get at it and and just the energy of the crowd and the different people that are there and Staples Center being a happening event, 
Um, it's been different. I've really enjoyed getting to watch basketball, but there's no question it's okay to accept watching basketball feels just a little bit different right now. And it'll get back to normal. And it'll be great again. And it still is that, that relief. But if ever you're watching basketball and it doesn't feel quite the same right now, that's okay because it's, it's really not. And it will be there. And that energy will come back. And I think playoffs are going to be fire situation around the world. You know, everywhere's got got fans back a little bit right now, it seems. So some of that energy will be there. You know, we're going to be uh, fur- further towards the tail end of this pandemic, hopefully. And I'm hoping that these playoffs can be a real time of hope and joy for a lot of people. And I think that this season has been interesting, been good. We've had a couple of great nights, great performances, great storylines. But I think these playoffs could end up being something really special and memorable. I just wanted to point out, I forgot to say this in my in my argument, but I'm going to be honest. I know I've said that so many times on this podcast, but I just don't think one of the downsides to this season is that I did not feel the regular season because of the injuries did not feel as important as as years past. It's and it's because of those injuries. And like we we were just we just been waiting for the playoffs from my point of view to start like this whole time, because it, it just feels like what LeBron AD is like, like to, it felt like the star players, at least that the real season was the playoffs and the regular season. Like it, you know, the attitude, like we just got to make the, just got to make the playoffs attitudes. It, it kind of defeats the whole pers- purpose of the regular season, but that's just me. I think that's an interesting point because be- you bring up that attitude of let's just go into the playoffs. It's fine. We could we can just scrap the regular season, turn on Rondo mode, and be playoff Rondo, right? That's a problem. In, and in that's opinion. that's why they're they're looking to amend that problem because the NBA quotes expects an easy approval to make the play in tournament permanent, according to Sports Illustrated. It's made the league more competitive and it's de-emphasized tanking and quote from Howard Beck from Sports Illustrated, the tanking era is, as we knew it, is over. So I think that's kind of a way to get rid of that feeling because we're looking at it with two about two weeks left until the playoffs or whatever, 24 teams are still competing. That means that six, if I did my math right, only six have been mathematically eliminated from the playoff play in tournament. And so it's giving more teams an an incentive to try harder to make it into that play in tournament so that they can make it to the playoffs. So I think whatever you're feeling is kind of like a holdover from seasons past. I think moving forward, that feeling will slowly dissipate as we become more acclimated with the play in tournament, which personally, I think this is a, the play in tournament is a great idea, personally speaking, because it adds a little, it adds more, competitiveness regardless of what Luka Doncic and Mark Cuban thinks it's a it adds more competitiveness and it adds more it's fun it's yeah it's like yes it's a and it's an added level of suspense plus yes that suspense equals money for the NBA for five minutes it's like the NBA's version of March Madness for just a couple yes. of games it's incredible I love it I think it's a great idea and uh, I hope it sticks around I hope it sticks around I can't wait for like fans to really be back for a single game elimination play in tournament oh it's gonna be amazing right dude that's sick I, I got a question 
And I, lo- uh-huh. I love it. Uh, so I was looking at, um, I was watching a game, I think like last week, and they posted how the uh, playing tournament works. You have the seventh seed versus the eighth seed, right? And the ninth seed versus the tenth seed, right? Yeah. So seventh, whoever wins out of seventh, eighth gets the seventh seed. Whoever wins out of ninth and tenth gets the eighth seed, right? So, okay, seven, eight play for the seventh seed. If whoever is nine, ten, they play one game. Whoever wins that game plays the loser of the seven, eight, and then whoever wins that game gets eighth. Okay, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, tough. Yeah, right. If you're nine and ten, <laughs> like the Warriors and the Spurs right now, against like the against the what is it the Trailblazers and the Grizzlies right now seven eight, bruh. I, I'm pretty sure. But yeah. if if you're the Warriors, you really want to get up to that uh to that six spot to complete everything, or just get into that seven eight, so you only have to play one team one time. But if you're the Spurs. And you have you have to play against the Warriors and then potentially the Raw oh, man. Good luck, yeah. good friggin' luck, because that's just a murderer's row of players or teams that you don't want to play. And then you have to play against the number one seed, which is probably Utah. Man, good luck. Tough, but it makes for good content. Facts, but mm-hmm. you know we're talking about good content and we're talking about the playing tournament one of the teams that surprised me this season at least is you know whatever team is going on in whatever team is playing in new york the knicks and shout out to scholar for putting this on the dock um the nba according to according to mark stein nba stars are considering the knicks quote there have been whispers that nick that the knicks resurgence has helped new york become a destination franchise again so that i reply no, I, I just, no, I don't think that rock the boat for uh, a star and then just be like, hey, we're the Knicks. We won eight games. We won eight straight a few weeks ago. Ooh. I'm, I mean, here's how I, here's how I view things. This season has been weird. And like we've seen, we've seen this in the Western Conference. Utah and Phoenix are on top of the Western Conference. To me, Utah and Phoenix, if this was a normal season, they would not be the first in two seats. Uh, with that being said, it all depends. Yes, I think the Knicks have much have been much better improved this season than in years past. And the, the Knicks, you know, their future looks brighter today than it was yesterday. Yeah. That being said, since this season wasn't normal, it all depends what happens in the next, you know, one or two seasons. If the Knicks can carry on the success with Tom Thibodeau and Julius Randle as you know as head coach and you know star player, and the players can keep becoming more consistent and keep this level of play up, then yes, I think eventually a star will come to New York. But that being said, there's also downsides. You know, James Dolan is still the owner of the New York Knicks, and the biggest you know way to alienate potential free agents is to have a bad owner. So all these bad apples are still. In in the you know the, this Knicks franchise and situation, so in my opinion, it, it all hinges on like what the Knicks do in the short term future, which will determine whether a star comes to New York. Did you say bad apples because New York is known as the Big Apple? Yeah, bad apples. Okay, that was yes, that was bad. completely by accident. It works. <laughs> that was accident. <laughs> okay, we'll go ahead, G. Whoever or nothing whoever. is by uh, accident. To quote Kung Fu Panther. Not to happen. <laughs> oh man. Um, 
I think this is good for the Knicks. Uh, I, I, the team I want to compare it to is the Clippers. Um, back with Doc Rivers and Shy Gilgis Alexander, instead of tanking, they fought for that playoff spot, right? They, they fought for it. And I think this is what we're seeing in the Knicks. But a little bit progressed a little bit further down the line because now they have an all-NBA talent um, and an all-star in Julius Randle. Um, and they're showing a strong foundation built on predicated on defense. We've seen this within Miami players, uh, Avery Bradley. We see how that turned out, but he went to the Miami heat because, uh, cause the culture there, uh, Jimmy Butler, he wants to stay in Miami cause the culture there. So all the Knicks are doing right now is building a culture. They're building an identity. And I feel like they found that this season and that's going to equate into uh, potential free agents. Now I'm not saying the Kevin Durant's of the NBA's, but free agents that could potentially help push them over the edge to be, a uh, a scary opponent when it comes to playoff time. And I think their audition is going to happen in the playoffs. Yes, they won eight straight games in a row, Jerry, but what are they what are what seed are they in the East right now? Sixth, right? I think they yeah. were fourth. But then they lost to the to the Suns on a Chris Paul shot. So it's crazy. Change it with every day. with the Knicks not even being able to make the playoffs in the past five years, right? To being in the conversation of fourth to sixth seed, that is good news for Knicks fans. And Absolutely. I think what also is building up that that destination to be on the New York Knickerbockers is competition, Daniel. Like you said, NBA 2K needs competition. Um, you got the new the Brooklyn Nets, Brooklyn Nets, the Brooklyn Nets that are building up this team, right? And you know, it's everybody wants to go to Brooklyn Nets, right? Because it's Brooklyn, you know, and you have a superstar uh a super team. So I think with that, you know, everybody wants to go to Clippers. Everybody wants to go to Lakers. They want to be in L.A. So now you can potentially be that superstar that can bring that competition to the Brooklyn Nets uh, while joining the Knicks. And the Knicks, the Knicks are fourth right now, even after that loss. They're still in fourth. So, and so that's, that's big. They're going to make the playoffs. They're taken seriously. And not just that. But, but Julius Randle is becoming the type of guy that you really want to play with. Like, he himself has become an attractive all-star who dishes the ball, who's a team player, who can really do it all. If I had to say which free agent I think is going, I think there's two possibilities here. I think, first of all, uh, Chris Paul needs his own show where he goes into a team and fixes up the franchise each different year. I mean, what he's done with the Thunder and the Suns, this is awesome. So I can see Chris Paul and then the Knicks bringing him in and him really making a difference there. The other one, we mentioned him earlier, I could see Russell Westbrook going to the next with Julius Randle. How wild would that be? Russ in New York, KD in Brooklyn. I'd love to see it. But I do think that those superstars (laughs) really kind of looking for that their own team. Or Russ said he wanted to be the floor general, you know, and I could really see him filling that role for the New York Knicks. And I think I think that'd be a show. I think it would be showtime in New York if that happens. So let's see where it goes. But if I had to make my calls, I think those are my two biggest candidates. But I do think New York is once again, somehow, some way, about to become an attractive free agent market again. And when the Lakers and Knicks are good, the NBA is a fun time. Yeah, absolutely. I just, w- just wanted to say, in, throughout my whole entire life, the, the New York market in terms of basketball, besides like that little stint with Carmelo Anthony, exactly has not been really successful. Has not been successful, and as a basketball fan, and like we've been told as young children, how New York is this so-called mecca basketball, but they've been they've been dog for like twenty years. So 
I mean, like, I think New York Knicks being in championship contention, contention, and like you know being a, a like you know a, a vocal part of the game of basketball in the NBA in terms of like you know that inner circle of championship contenders, that only bodes well for the league. Remember, New York's the biggest media market for a reason. You, like right. it, it benefits both. It benefits the league in general if both cities, LA and New York, are good. Absolutely, and I think that you know the way that the Knicks are playing. Who knew that defense wins games? Who knew? But that's something they haven't done. In, like that, the 90s. That's, that's that's something they haven't done in like the last twenty years, with the exception of some Carmelo Anthony years. Mm-hmm. But that's neither here nor there. But just to get into some quick hitters real quick before we wrap things up, Daniel, you mentioned things not boding well. Well, for Nike, things are not boding well, at least in this particular instance, because as you guys know. As Kobe fans, Kobe Bryant's contract with Nike expired on April 13th. Nike didn't renew that. They opted not to give Kobe a lifetime deal. And as a result, Vanessa Bryant is looking to to other apparel brands after Kobe's deal expired. And again, he wasn't given a lifetime deal. And she didn't like how Nike was using his name for profit, particularly one of the main things that she had an issue with was the fact that Nike was using Kobe's name to push out the shoes, the brands, whatever, but they weren't doing anything to help fans get the sneakers or whatever merchandise that they needed. And so Vanessa was like, hey, we need to give the fans, the actual fans, those sneakers, gear, apparel, what have you. And Nike was just like, no, that's good. We'll just let the resellers have them. And so that's why she's exploring her options. And as you guys know, Kobe was exploring his options before his death in 2020. He he actually had a few meetings set up with different apparel brands to start his own company. I think it was called Mamba Sportswear or something like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, just quick thoughts on this. I think Vanessa Bryant is doing a great service to her fans or to his fans and her fans now because she's she's standing up for the little people right she's saying hey these people want the kicks these people want the gear that you know my husband wore and they love him so much why don't you just give it to him give it to them give it to everyone and nike's like no we just want a profit cool so props to her uh Absolutely agree. I think what Vanessa Bryant is doing is the right move. I think people deserve for, you know, to have, you know, the legacy of Kobe Bryant continue. And I, since I, and I honestly think Nike's personally doing, you know, Vanessa and, you know, Kobe's memory dirty here. And it's, it's like, it doesn't really make sense to me. I mean, Kobe Bryant was one of the most recognizable athletes throughout his entire career. And he Especially probably made when it comes so to much money. For Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. It's, Kobe was a god in China for a reason. Like, like few players, even though even though the NBA is big in China, like few players had the the atmosphere that you know, or the 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 reputation Kobe had in in China. So I mean, it, it's just like even from a business move, like, well, I don't know if it's even a business move from a personal standpoint. I think it's like Nike's obligation to, to like just honor the man's memory here. So yeah. like, yes. So I I hope someone else picks up you know you know kobe's brand and apparel and hopefully this his legacy continues to live on agreed um i think this is the best choice because now Mm -hmm. the bryant family is getting they're taking the power back 
this this is this is their creation i know that mikey you know elevated being able to distribute um all of the products but you're not you're not getting the most out of it it's more of appreciation not all about the money there's actual kobe fans out there um that want to keep the product and not resell it so um like i said this is vanessa just taking the power back to the bryant name and i hope that whatever decision is made um is the best decision for her family um as well as when i say her family i'm not just speaking about the bryant family themselves but the community that is revolving around them now yeah wow yeah, absolutely. You know, I think uh, this is a really wonderful move by Vanessa. Uh, she's just one of the strongest women ever. You know, she will, she will never have closure on what happened. And for her to go up and speak at Kobe Bryant's funeral the way she did and, and to carry on with her daughters, and that's exactly what she is, a very strong woman. And the Kobe Bryant brand is, is so important. You know, with the Mamba and Mamba the Sports Foundation, with Granity Studios. You got Granity Studios making content. You got books still coming out. You got unwritten screenplays. You got all these ideas that Kobe had. And so that, but that's all Kobe and that's all the brand. And, and I think it should actually provide a lot of solace, I hope, in the sense that, yeah, Nike didn't do it right, but they're in control and the Mamba footwear. And Kobe has a legion of not just dedicated fans, but, but people who really loved him and like just believe in his mentality of, of perseverance and of positivity and, and just always trying to be better the next day. And I think that if Nike isn't going to honor that, if they're not going to give the lifetime deal, if they're not going to respect Kobe Bryant as, as the enigma that he was just for the dollar. And not just that, but what Kobe did for the company. I mean, Kobe would talk about Mark Parker. Kobe was in the room designing shoes with Nike. I mean, he learned with Tinker, you know, like the little intricacies of making shoes and laces and soles and everything. And, and, and it's shocking. It's absolutely shocking that with what happened, they wouldn't just do everything. And uh, it, it's not a great reflection, unfortunately. It's really not. It's tough. The whole Kobe Nike jumping over the car, LeBron Kobe puppet relationship. Yes. Uh, yes. Rest Love in peace. Totally. Oh, the best. But yeah, no, you know, I, I really, really think that uh, it's the right move by Vanessa. And, and Kobe has such a legion of fans and people that, that loved and respected him. And that matters. And that will pay dividends in the future. Uh, for the Bryant family, not just in terms of dollars or anything, but in keeping the legacy alive. Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes the, the chase for the almighty dollar sometimes clouds people's judgments. And, you know, what, that's, that's how it is. You know, that's capitalism. That's just you make the end goal is to make as much money as you can, regardless of the means you get there. So it sucks. But, you know, props to Vanessa Bryant for doing this and. Last thing here before we wrap things up. Daniel, you've been talking a lot about having an NBA franchise in a different country. Well, your yes. wish has been answered somewhat because the G League will have its first team outside the United States and Canada, the Capitanes de Ciudad de Mexico, the Mexico City Captains. Pretty sure that's right. My pronunciation of whatever that was was wrong. So don't 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 bash me too hard on that. But yeah. They have their first team located in Mexico City. 
And they were supposed to join last year, but the pandemic hit and, you know, the pandemic destroyed everything. But yeah, quick thoughts on having an NBA, a G League team, excuse me, in Mexico. I think this is fantastic, honestly. Global game. This is a this is a good I this is a fantastic move by the by the by and part of the NBA and the G League in general. Like they it's it's become apparent. Basketball is is growing across the globe. And I think in twenty and in two to three decades time at least, basketball there will be no doubt that basketball will be at least be the second most popular sport on the globe. I don't think anything is going to ever catch soccer, but that's not the point. Um, the game is grow like from what I hear and you know what I've researched. The game is indeed growing in Mexico, and to put a game put, to put a G League team in that area, a part, part of the world, kind of kind of like is kind of encouraging news to me, and is in that it, it shows me that the NBA is interested in having a team down in Mexico in the future, which is a which only means more fans coming down the line. I think Mexico City has the market and the city in, in general to hold a basketball franchise. And I think a basketball franchise down in Mexico will be ginormously successful in the long run. Awesome. Yeah, I agree with Daniel. Just echoing what he just said. Um, I think just the other aspect is um, encouraging other, other people, other individuals to want to play the game of basketball. So just being exposed to it, just by having that G league team there, uh, potentially down the line, there's going to be games being played there. So they're going to be able to see all of these uh, G league players that are going to turn into NBA players. So it's just another opportunity um, there. And I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Let's keep expanding. Having a G league down in Mexico, it just expands the international reach of the NBA and the ever growing reach, you know, particularly with the, Africa League. And I think that, you know, we've talked about this a bit before, but the NBA is becoming such an incredibly global game. And this is just such a sign of that. And I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see how it competes. I think this could create really interesting Olympic competition eventually, because now you're going to have kids in Mexico growing up inspired to play basketball. And, uh, you know, and look, we got, we got India listening to our podcast now, you know, it's, it's absolutely incredible. uh, The globalness of the game. And I think that it's, it's only going to go up from here. And this is a really great step. Yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. This is a great step and it's only going to go up from here. But speaking of things, Daniel, you brought this up. Fantastic moves. Another fantastic move is if you subscribe to the Shooting Bricks podcast and leave a review on your platform of choice. It really helps us out. Lastly, make sure to follow us on at Podcast Bricks on Twitter, at Shooting Bricks Podcast on Instagram, and at The Shooting Bricks Podcast on YouTube for all the news and the video of this episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast up available pretty soon so make sure you do all those things it really helps us out anything you guys do communicate with us we love it we love all the interaction so please keep doing that we love all the support and yeah let's uh let's take this to bigger and better heights but as always i'm jerry castillo i'm daniel Wayne, and i'm gonna probably eat salt and straw ice cream this week at Venice speech but joining me as well and this was an amazing episode. Uh, yeah, follow us on the platforms. Reach out to us. Let's have some conversation. Tag us in your stories. We love it. Um, of course, it's your boy, Relly Rail, Jarrell Sells. And you know my favorite phrase. Of course, we have. 
Hey, yo, what up? This is Skylar Treple. Thank you all so much for tuning in to the Shooting Bricks podcast. Shout out to everyone in India. Uh, like, subscribe, comment, and shout out to Mr. Kobe Bean Bryant and Vanessa and the fact that that legacy will be carrying on as I'm wearing my uh, Anthony Davis Lakers jersey, carrying on that legacy. So we will see what happens as the NBA comes to a close. All right, we will see what happens with the when the NBA comes to a close, and we will see everyone else next week. <laughs>